Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. In the middle of the week, it is a Wednesday, January 10, 2024. So appreciate your listenership to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and so appreciate the many wonderful experts that we have here at the network and all of our great news resources to tap into on big stories. And that's what's going to happen after the break. Well, obviously, we'll have the news and the weather for you, of course. But we also have our very own Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Editorial Director and VP of EWTN, also noted church historian and author of more than 50 books about the church and the saints. And we are going to get the latest from Rome regarding these very controversial books that are resurfacing from the second in command at the Vatican, Cardinal Fernandez. Uh, what does this mean? What does this look like? Is there a possible fallout? But I think more importantly, what can we do as believers to hold on to our faith? I know many people are, are not just frustrated, but shocked and, and scandalized for many reasons. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that as well. But also take a look back, because I think can't get anybody better than Matthew Bunsen. Well, of course, we have Father Mitch Pacwa on tomorrow. So again, another great expert. But to look back in history at what's happened in the church when crises have occurred. It's a really powerful thing to do. Yesterday in the first hour of my program, for example, based on some of the emails and the comments I'm seeing on Facebook and emails that I'm receiving, I felt that we need a little shot in the arm. So I was doing some research, and I found a a great talk by Father Michael Schmitz. I think it was back like in 2020 or 21. And it was a quick segment, about six minutes long, that I played. And maybe I'll have to share it with you nationally. But he also looked back at church history when there were major crises in the church and how God always brought us great saints. He looked at the time of St. Francis and St. Clair, the time of uh, St. John Vianney, the time of, gosh, uh, St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. So he went through history of the church. But I also want to talk to Dr. Bunsen about, we always hear great teachers such as Fulton Sheen, if you watch EW10 and you see his great talks that they replay. He talks so often about the laity and the responsibility of the laity. What does that mean and what does that look like? And what can we as laity, laity do to make a difference? So obviously it has to start first, as I mentioned in my most recent newsletter, with our relationship with the Lord and our domestic church. But we're all called to evangelize. So what does that mean and what does that look like today, given all the issues we are facing and the craziness out there? And then continuing that discussion with Joan Lewis, of course, Joan's Rome. And we'll also take a look, hopefully if we have time, and this should be of interest to any of you who may be traveling to Bella Italia in the next two years. I know many people are going on pilgrimages. Many people are doing private trips and making up for still time that was lost during COVID. So many trips were canceled. And many people are going to Italy because they can't get to Rome because it's the Holy Land. I mean, they can't get to the Holy Land because it's still shut down because of the uh, the ongoing war with Hamas uh, and Israel. So the crowds are going to be increasing and even more than they were, which is just crazy. And then you also have construction that's been going on specifically in Rome where they're redoing a lot of the areas right around the Vatican. Now, when it's done, God willing, it's going to be incredible, much more um, access for pedestrians to walk, don't have to worry about so much of the crazy uh, traffic around Rome and the Via della Conciliazione or the Vatican, St. Peter's and whatnot. But when there's construction in Rome, it inevitably stops in the middle of the project. Why? Because if you think about Rome and all of the archaeological sites that they continue to uncover, There are so many laws in relationship to the buildings and construction and reconstruction that once you hit something, basta, they stop enough and they have to investigate. Now, the mayor was visiting with the Pope recently and saying that everything is going along smoothly and there's going to be no pause. And I actually almost spit out my coffee as I was telling Joan in an email when I read that because Rome always pauses. Italy pauses. That's what they do. (laughs) We'll explain a little bit later. But just to keep in mind, if you are traveling, to give yourself extra time, especially if you're going to Rome. So we'll talk about that with Joan Lewis. Interesting story there because travel is through the roof to Italy and that part of the world. So we have Dr. Matthew Bunsen and our own Joan Lewis on today. Weather-wise, country getting you know, walloped by this storm. National Weather Service says moderate to major flooding expected across the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast through tomorrow. This, along with significant coastal flooding, a winter storm will meanwhile continue to produce heavy snow across the Cascades, Northern Rockies, and the Intermountain West, and that will happen today. And we'll have all of this on the news, which at five minutes past the hour, we will begin 
right now on a Wednesday. Beautiful story out of the Philippines, and this is both on Catholic News Agency and the Vatican News website. An estimated 2 million people swarming the annual Black Nazarene procession in Manila yesterday. It's one of the largest displays of Catholic religious devotion in the Philippines. As Vatican News tells us, every year on January 9th, a life-size statue representing Jesus bent under the weight of the cross is transferred in a parade through the Filipino capital. This is the first time the traditional procession has been led since 2020 after COVID forced officials to drastically downsize the event. The statue was brought to Manila by a Spanish Augustinian priest back in 1607 aboard a ship from Mexico. Catholic tradition says the boat caught fire during the voyage, but the icon miraculously escaped the fire by turning black. In other religious news this morning, the Vatican's news agency releasing its annual list of Catholic missionaries who were killed bearing witness to their faith in 2023. As Lisa Zangarini reports from Rome, Africa again recording the highest number of victims. Two missionaries in Burkina Faso, a priest in Tanzania, a religious brother in the Cameroons and a parish priest in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Mexico again this year endured the bulk of missionary murders in the Americas with two priests and two young catechists killed in the context of growing drug-related insecurity. Two brutal missionary murders were also reported in the U.S. where Bishop David O'Connell, auxiliary bishop of Los Angeles, was killed by the husband of his housekeeper and in mid-December a priest in Fort Cullen, Nebraska, died after he was stabbed in the rectory of his church. The Vatican News Agency, meanwhile, noting that one of the distinctive traits that most of the victims had in common is the circumstances in which they were murdered, either on their way to celebrate Mass or to carry out pastoral activities in some distant community. Nearly 700 flights have now been canceled today alone as deadly storms battered the U.S. That's according to the flight tracking website, flightaware.com. Airports in the Northeast and the Midwest were shutting down flights yesterday because of the extreme weather. Chicago had the most cancellations. New York has some of the longest flight delays, or passengers, for example, at JFK, were kept waiting an average of three hours. And at least four people were killed yesterday in the extreme weather, including severe thunderstorms, tornadoes, damaging winds, and baseball-sized hail. And more winter weather is on the way for much of the U.S. Another storm predicted to make its way across the Midwest, South, and East from Thursday into Saturday, bringing snow, high winds, thunderstorms, and flood risks. Snow will likely fall heavily in areas such as Chicago, Detroit, and Kansas, with some areas seeing as much as one to two feet. Governor Ron DeSantis is promising help to those hit by nasty weather in north and central Florida. He's already declared a state of emergency in some 49 counties. We just do what we do in Florida. We respond when these things happen. So those folks who have been impacted, just know the state of Florida stands with you and will handle uh, whatever fallout is from these dangerous tornadoes. By issuing that executive order, it opens the state to federal funding and suspends statutes that would delay response recovery. The severe line of storms moving through the state and into South Florida in the overnight hours. U.S. officials are calling accusations of genocide against Israel meritless. Following a meeting with Israel officials in Tel Aviv, Secretary of State Antony Blinken calling the genocide case against Israel a distraction. This comes as the International Court of Justice will hear a case brought by South Africa accusing Israel of committing genocide against Palestinians in its war on Hamas. Blinken, meanwhile, said the U.S. is urging Israel to scale down its military operations, and reduce civilian casualties in the Gaza Strip. And U.S. Senators Marsha Blackburn and Tom Tillis, as Brian Chook tells us, are co-sponsoring a bill to punish protesters who block public roads and highways. Tennessee Republican Blackburn says the bill is in direct response to radical tactics of pro-Palestinian protesters who've intentionally blocked roads across the country. She says the Safe and Open Streets Act is critical to stopping this reckless behavior, particularly by those she calls Hamas sympathizers. The Pentagon says Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin admitted to the ICU with complications from a treatment for prostate cancer. Secretary Austin currently remains hospitalized at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and is in good condition. 
and he's expected to make a full recovery. Meanwhile, this comes as Austin is facing criticism as his hospitalization was not reported either to top defense officials or even the White House until days later. The chair of the House Armed Services Committee is now also launching a formal investigation into the secret hospitalization. Michael Katzner tells us the president of Ecuador declaring an internal armed conflict in the South American country after a group of gunmen took over a live TV news broadcast. President Daniel Noboa on Tuesday ordered security forces to neutralize criminal groups in Ecuador who have been accused of spreading violence in the region. The order came shortly after a group of armed men interrupted a live TV broadcast in Quito, Ecuador's capital, so they could read a message on the air and started ordering staff members to get on the floor. Ecuador police later said all the armed men were arrested and that all of the TV staff were alive. A new poll shows Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis trailing most of the field for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination in New Hampshire. The University of New Hampshire survey finding support for DeSantis among likely GOP primary voters only at 5%. The survey shows former President Trump leading the field with a backing of 39%, followed by Nikki Haley in the number two spot at 32%. Christian Marks tells us New Jersey Senator Bob Mendez is pushing back against the indictments against him for alleged corruption. Speaking on the Senate floor, Menendez claimed he's being persecuted by federal law enforcement. By filing three indictments, it allows the government to keep the sensational story in the press, it poisons the jury pool, and it seeks to convict me in the court of public opinion. The embattled Democrat denied charges he allegedly worked as a foreign agent for Egypt and used his power to aid the government of Qatar. He also slammed increasing calls for his resignation, arguing he's yet to have his day in court. Former White House medical advisor Anthony Fauci says he's not convinced children experienced learning loss because of COVID-19 pandemic school closures. That's what he told House lawmakers on the second day of closed-door interviews on Capitol Hill Tuesday, despite so many studies and reports showing just the opposite. Fauci answered 14 hours of questions in the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic about the pandemic, the role of the federal government versus state government, and the origins of the virus. Aaron Rial tells us a third of Gen Z live with the parent or family member because they simply cannot afford to rent or buy their own place. According to a new survey from Intuit Credit Karma, 31% of Gen Zers are living with parents after being hit particularly hard by high housing costs, elevated interest rates, and stagnant wage growth. Renting isn't any better. In 2022, 30% of the median income is now needed to pay the average rent for the first time. Last year, the typical first-time homeowner was 36 years old, according to the Association of Realtors. That's a record high and a full decade older than the oldest Gen Zer. And millions of Americans who went into debt to buy holiday gifts are now facing the music in the mailbox as it's filled with bills. Amanda Woods, a financial health specialist, says debts are no laughing matter when they jeopardize your ability to pay the mortgage, utilities, or buy groceries. So now you have to kind of face the mess that was made during the holiday season. This is a familiar thing for many people. She advises you pay the essentials before those credit cards, and if you can't afford to pay down the holiday debt, reach out to a financial advisor. But she's urging to find a financial advisor that does not charge for the service and says to start by checking with your local extension office. And Meta is blocking certain content from reaching teens on Facebook and Instagram following ongoing criticism over how young people use its platforms. A tech giant said it wanted to create more age-appropriate experiences on top of its apps and a blog post and on top of already restricting topics such as self-harm, suicide, and eating disorders and being recommended to teens. Meta will also stop those topics from appearing in users' feeds and stories, even if the content was posted by someone the youngsters follow. Almost 15 minutes past the hour. Do hope your Wednesday middle of the week is going well. It is January 10th, 2024. Up next, Dr. Matthew Bunsen joins us once again with more information on developments out of the Vatican. And then Joan Lewis, Jones Rome. All of this on a Wednesday, plus you. We'll be right back. When the need for senior care arises, home is where the heart is. Visiting Angels provides home care for mom or dad up to 24 hours per day, including personal care, meals, and light housework. You may select your professional caregiver with Visiting Angels. More information at visitingangels.com or at 877-374-LIVE. That's 877-374-LIVE. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. 
The Catholic Church teaches that Jesus Christ is a literally and wholly present body and blood, soul and divinity under the appearances of bread and wine. Feeding 5,000 from a boy's five barley loaves and two fish as recorded in John chapter 6 is quite a miracle. Yet the next day, Jesus downplays it in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Likewise, God's provision of manna to the Israelites in the desert was also a great miracle. Yet Jesus similarly downplays it in verse 49. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus is clearly stating that His Eucharist is greater than both of these amazing miracles, and the Catholic Church absolutely takes Him at His word. Examining the truths of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. On the next Epiphany. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Hi, Vanessa Denhagarmo here. Father Pierre Kunja, pastor of St. Thomas Keldian Church, joins us for our Parish of the Week Wednesday. Then Mary Martin from Unleash the Gospel at Work helps us plan for the new year and follow the Holy Spirit. Epiphany, weekdays at noon on Ave Maria Radio. Thanks for tuning in to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Catholic Connection, a co-production of EWTN and Ave Maria Radio. Great for the expertise and insight and experience of experts such as our very own Dr. Matthew Bunsen, our Vice President and Editorial Director. He's a noted church historian, author, experts on all things Catholic. And so, of course, we wanted to tap into him to kind of get some more explanation of this story that actually uh, started to break after, Matthew, you got off the air with us on a Monday. So bring our listeners up to date in terms of what we've been covering here at EW10, the Register, and, and other outlets. Yeah, well, good morning first. Good morning. Uh, once again, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, <laughs> it started off with a bang. Bono. Uh, what we're talking about is a book uh, that was written uh, by then uh, Victor Manuel Fernandez at a time when I don't think he had quite finished his doctorate yet. Uh, this goes all the way back to 1998, and uh, it was on spirituality and sensuality. And uh, the title of it is The Healing Force of Mysticism. Uh, and um, it's, it's a book itself that really looks at uh, the sensuality of spirituality. And I, I should say, sort of correct myself, that uh, in fact, what the, the book itself, uh, the title is the, the Mystical Passion, mm-hmm. and it's Spirituality and Sensuality. The other title that I just gave is actually what I want to get to, because he, mm-hmm. he references it in his own discussion about what he did. Now, this followed about three years after uh, the now rather famous book that uh, was also revealed at the time that he was appointed uh, to the position of uh, prefect of the dicastery of uh, the Doctrine of the Faith, and that was on kissing. Uh, I think you and I actually had a conversation at one point about that book. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Heal Me With Your Mouth, The Art of Kissing. So in terms of a timeline, he was uh, 33, I think, when he wrote uh, the 1995 book, Heal Me With Your Mouth. He was 36 when he wrote this new book on the mystical passion. His argument is, as it was when uh, the the book itself on kissing came out, he said that uh, he was young, uh, he was a young theologian in training, and now uh, when this book, which contains incredibly graphic Graphic. language Mm -hmm. and detail to the point where, to be honest, I I don't think I can actually read many of the passages that are in this book on Mm -hmm. the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not encouraging people to go try to find it, in, in part just read the, the, the news reporting because we don't really want to sort of encourage that sort of prurient interest or, or getting right. into the salacious details. But the point is that uh, so he wrote this, uh, as he himself said, when he was young uh, and inexperienced, and he added uh, that he certainly would not write that now, is mm-hmm. what he told Crooks. Mm-hmm. And he said, long after that book, he said, I wrote much more serious books. And really? this is where that initial title, The Healing Force of Mysticism, The Transforming Force of Mysticism, which, to be honest, I, I look forward to reading because I'm very curious as what he considers to be uh, serious books on mysticism. 
Uh, and I think one of the ongoing questions now is where does this particular book stand in terms of his reputation? Uh, he has uh, essentially disavowed it. He tried to uh, end its publication. He tried to get all the copies removed. So he did everything he could uh, at the time. Uh, after it came out, uh, not to have it reprinted. And to be honest, it's very difficult to find. Uh, it was still Thank floating God. out there, though. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why this book came out. So what's been the reaction? Has it been crickets from the Vatican? Well, the, uh, he himself... Uh, this in addition is to him, his comment. In addition to him, there has been, that I'm aware of, no official statement. And to be honest, I doubt there would be. I think this is... Uh, he has demonstrated a, a consistent pattern, really, since the time of his appointment in handling these types of uh, public relations crises uh, himself, which itself is highly unusual uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of the way that the dicastria, or previously the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, has always functioned. The, and the this follows, of course, the, uh, yeah, the document uh, on the blessings that came out. And then he had to follow up that with a five-page press release Correct. trying to clarify, which was also an even bigger mess in, in my uh, professional media opinion. Right. So I think the concern of so many Catholics, and I know you've heard uh, from many of your followers, I was monitoring the coverage on the Register and on Catholic News Agency and looking at the comments, people are rightfully very concerned. This is a number two person at the Vatican. Yes, it is. Uh, this is... Um, a, you're absolutely correct. This is uh, not just one of the highest-ranking officials uh, in the Vatican. We can look at the position like the Secretary of State, which traditionally right. has also been considered right there, just sort of below the Pope. Mm-hmm. But the, the head of the one-time CDF, one-time Holy Office, now the Dicaster of the Doctrine of the Faith, has always had immense importance in the life of the Church. It's why it has always been kind of considered La Suprema and why it has traditionally been listed first among the, the great offices of the Roman Curia. It has been in some ways demoted uh, in recent years by Pope Francis. If you look now at the listings of the various offices of the Roman Curia, the central government of the church, it actually falls behind now the office of evangelization, of which Pope Francis is himself the head. So we're seeing where the, the focus is uh, in terms of Pope Francis. Now, we can add that in this case, this is a somewhat unique circumstances because Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, who has had what I think we can very correctly describe as a meteoric rise in the last year, uh, is not only the head of the dicastery, he's not also the cardinal, but he is considered... And, and I think you said something important, one of the most powerful and influential figures in this pontificate. Mm-hmm. He, more than I think anyone uh, in the Holy See, has the direct ear of Pope Francis. It's very clear from uh, Pope Francis's levels of trust in him, uh, how he gave him a very clear mandate, and how Cardinal Fernandez, especially since assuming his office, has been incredibly active as a prefect. If you look at the, the, the homepage mm-hmm. for the dicastery for the number of documents that are released. On average, the dicastery or congregation would issue one document a year. He's already up to 10 since his takeover uh, in this position, uh, technically in July, but really in full force from September 1st. To me, what is, is very disturbing is that there are people, and, and we, we predicted this, you and I were talking about this back and forth in preparation for interview today, that they're circling the wagons, and there's even some in the Catholic media that are doing this, which I really find reprehensible, and going as far as to compare it, to which I think is a total insult to theology of the body uh, of John Paul II. There, there's no comparison. I'm sorry, there's just no comparison, and, and to do so is to really, I think, bring down, try to bring down the theology of the body, which is so beautiful and should be upheld just the opposite way. Well, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think uh, one of the things that uh, we're seeing is that uh, in, when this came out, um, it was easy to make a prediction that they would somehow try to connect this or to compare it uh, to love and responsibility to theology of the body. The one thing that one can say is that when love and responsibility came out uh, initially, uh, under then uh, Carol Wotiwa, it was considered not controversial, but the, but the language was um, not explicit, but very clear in terms of a proper understanding of conjugal relations and, and the unitive and procreative aspects of marriage and life. But uh, that's where really the comparison ends. And, and to be honest, I 
don't think that uh, Cardinal Fernandez himself would, would make this comparison. He himself, as he said, he, he canceled the book. He did not want it to be reprinted. Uh, and he was very worried that it would be misinterpreted. I don't think that you can... <laughs> His own words, um, and he says not too he, much to misinterpret since it's so graphic and direct. I mean, right. come on. What I'm getting at is that I think this is a book that its own author disavowed, mm-hmm. and that uh, as he says, as he said to Crooks, it, I don't think it's a good thing to spread it now. He said, I have not authorized it, and it is contrary to my will. That's a universe apart from John Paul II, mm-hmm. who, in crafting the magnificent teachings on the theology of the body left us a treasure for millennia to come. But it also raises questions about this leader, and especially since in that second book, uh, he'd never mentioned sexuality and spirituality in the context of the sacrament of marriage and that husband and wife relationship, which John Paul II did. More with Dr. Matthew Bunsen when we come back. What can we do as Catholics with our concerns? And obviously prayer and fast, but what else? Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Connection. It is a Wednesday, January 10th. Dr. Matthew Munson with us again. So grateful for his great work at EWTN as our Vice President and Editorial Director, but also as a wonderful church historian. Okay, as I said to you in preparing for this interview and text you, I'm going to tap into your very large brain and ask you some advice to looking at church history. And we know that over the centuries, the Lord has not forgotten this church and never will. We know what Matthew 16:18 says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Mm-hmm. And we know that great saints are brought up in very difficult times to write the church. For example, St. Francis, St. Clair, St. Teresa of Avila, St. John Vianney, St. John of the Cross, and St. Catherine of Siena. But I think right now people are feeling, and reading the comments, which I spent a lot of time yesterday, just kind of get a, uh, where people are, get a pulse of what they're feeling. They're very, very, I mean, they're still staying Catholic, and they believe in in Jesus' promise, but they're very, very disillusioned and hurt by this and scandalized. And I think they feel hopeless and helpless. So throughout history, though, the lady have really made a difference. So what can we do, do you think, Matthew, to really pray for our bishops, yes, fast for the church. So what else can we do to make a difference, do you think? Because this is so scandalous, whether particular outlets or whether the Vatican wants to ignore it, this is very, very scandalous and frightening in many ways. Well, I think it, uh, it is alarming, uh, but it also, uh, the, the word of the day for the last couple of years has been context. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the context of theology now. And I, I say that, be, and it's an important point to make to my mind, because the, the context for this particular book coming out now, uh, being revealed now, coming directly on the heels as it does with the uh, fiducia supplicants on the, the, the blessing of uh, same-sex couples that seems to be permitted, again, not within a liturgical setting. All of this seems to be part of a wider mm-hmm. concern that people have. Yes. And then we had the same concern. You and I talked multiple times about the synod mm-hmm. uh, and the, the grave anxiety that people have had throughout that somehow this is going to be a stealth process for changing church teaching. We have this level of anxiety that coupled then with the last years of anxiety, coupled with the wider worries that we have almost civilizationally, culturally, that we are watching. Pope Francis said it very well, and he said it a couple of times. He said, we're not looking uh, at uh, an era of change. We're we're looking at a change of era. But what does that mean exactly? Mm -hmm. And so those ramifications are playing out in the daily lives of Catholics uh, who are very shaken, I think. Mm -hmm. And... My blush reaction when I'm asked about what we can do is I always go back to St. Augustine, who said that you tell me the times are evil will be holier and the times will get better. Right, right. The average Catholic is not going to be able to fly to Rome and try to shake some sense into the people that they think need having sense shaken into them. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's... It, where you can, however, is in your daily life. It yep. is in doubling down, staying close to the sacraments. It is providing hope to those around you, even if there are days and hours where you think to yourself, this is insanity mm-hmm. that we're seeing. But that's where I think the, the great virtues uh, are, are so important here, of, of hope, of faith, of love. 
but also the great cardinal virtues of, of prudence, of temperance. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, I think the more that we can cultivate in our own lives uh, the, the virtues, what's, what's one of the great hallmarks of the saints? It is that they lived the virtues, but they just didn't live them. They lived them to a heroic degree mm-hmm. in eras that, were, that make ours pale in comparison. Exactly. I think, for example, of the Arian heresy. There's been a lot of discussion about the Arian heresy, uh, in part because we're seeing this sort of malformation, this, this misunderstanding, deliberate misrepresentation of who Christ is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is something that uh, Joseph Ratzinger wrote extensively about, that we are reducing Christ to just one more religious figure. Well, he is the son of God, and we need to cultivate that in our own lives to understand that. But people who lived through the Arian heresy ask St. Athanasius, who had to hide in the tombs of his family, because they were trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you lived through the the horrendous days of the Protestant Reformation, the Protestant Revolt, uh, in which you could wake up one morning and, according to that principle, whatever the religion of your prince is, that's what you are. And you are a devout Catholic, and suddenly your prince, because he wants that the possessions of the church, decides that he's now lumping himself into the Lutheran cause. And suddenly now you are expected to be a Lutheran or an Anglican, because Henry wants the monasteries and, and he wants an heir. All of these things were a dark, dark time in our past. Mm-hmm. And the, the key to that, then, is... Being faithful, this is what well, Richard John Newhouse always said. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at these saints, so this is sometimes I think we we forget this. I mean, as Catholics, especially if we're cradle Catholics, we grow up with these images and these feast days. But it's really important to look at their lives because they lived it heroically, and that's how they changed the church. And I think that's what Bishop Fulton Sheen and others are referring to. That and, and Father Michael Schmitz gave a talk on this a couple of years ago, and I played a clip of it on the first hour of my show yesterday. He mentioned Francis and Claire and, and St. Teresa, St. John of the Cross. And St. Teresa, of, St. John of the Cross, right? Both of them attacked yeah. from within their own orders. <laughs> Teresa of Avila was poisoned by it. But tried, they tried to poison her in the convent, and, and St. John of the Cross was put in prison by his fellow brother priests. That's right. That's right. Uh, Catherine of Siena, Siena right. gave her life uh, to try to bring unity to the church mm-hmm. and died trying. Yep. And had what I think history has proven to be something of a very unworthy pope um, at the time, Urban VI, who helped mm-hmm. cause basically the Great Western Schism that went on for, for decades. And yet she, because she trusted, because she believed, because she had hope, and because she was willing to have that, that great virtue of fortitude, she was willing to give her life for that, and she mm-hmm. did. And mm-hmm. we look back with gratitude with what she did. But she didn't enter into revolt against the Holy See. Right. Despite the, the relative unworthiness, he was still Pope, no question. And, and he could have been a great Pope, but it just didn't... History was against him in that sense, Urban. But she recognized that he was the duly elected Pope at a time when anti-Popes were now being elected. And that, for her, was completely unacceptable. There's no possible way that she could support an anti-pope against a legitimately elected pope. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is one of the lessons for us here today, too. Yeah. Matthew, so well said, and I just keep going back to, again, trusting Jesus. And, and right. I look at even the, the readings for this weekend and listening to Father John's from the trailer where he focused on the letter um, uh, of Ephesians from St. Paul. And it, people should look at the readings this weekend and see what it says. I mean, it's, it's pertaining exactly to what we're discussing about this issue of our over-sexualized culture and some of the problems we're seeing within the church. And this is a reminder, as Father John tells us, that, that God is not nervous. He sees everything. Mm-hmm. And the church is still the church. And to take what the saints did even more seriously, because that's how they changed the world, starting with themselves. That's right. And to have that trust uh, that we have to have as yep. Catholics, that we have to have as believers, uh, where is our trust, I think, okay. is a question. And... Mm-hmm. Above all, pray for our priests, pray for our bishops, bishops, pray for our cardinals, and pray for Pope Francis. Amen. Matthew, great to tap into your wisdom and your knowledge of church history and all things Catholic, and look forward to uh, seeing you next week, uh, God willing, in Washington for the March for Life. 
Check out the great work of Dr. Bunsen through EWTN.com and his many, many books. Up next, uh, more from Joan Lewis, also taking a look at the Jubilee year and what that means for travelers if you have Rome on your bucket list. We'll be right back. Thirty-nine minutes past the hour, wrapping up a Wednesday as we always do with our very own Joan of Jones Rome. We missed it last week because I didn't have a voice, but thanks be to God, I'm speaking again. And always great to catch up with Joan from Rome and her beautiful, beautiful blog, uh, Jones Rome at WordPress.com. So, Joni, you are there uh, in Rome, and we just finished, as I mentioned uh, in our emails back and forth, tapping into the the wisdom of church history with Dr. Matthew Bunsen, looking at the lives of the saints and how they made a difference, especially in difficult times. In the church, what are you hearing about the Fernandez controversy from your Rome sources? Good morning. Uh, well, I, I'm I'm not sure my vocabulary is big enough to include all the adjectives that I've heard that describe this work. Um, basically, condemnation in in the first degree. People who re you know that uh, I, I don't remember who it was, but I read an hour I think after the first news was published about the book that um, someone wrote I think it was on a blog that this could be a near occasion of sin for for people and mm-hmm. just what I, I've not read the book but just the excerpts that so many of our colleagues on you know both sides of the media have done um, I, I just. I just found it so distasteful, so difficult to read. Um, it's not within the reign of anything, not within the, you know, gamut, if you will, of anything I've ever read in my life. Um, I certainly never read the likes of anything like that, you know, from the Vatican. Um, so some of the language was, was very hard um, to uh, to read, to digest. Mm-hmm. But I think that, interestingly enough, what I discovered in one case, I was going to different blogs, different Italian newspapers and everything. And in many cases, the reportage on the book seems to be A, copying B, copying C, etc. But um, there was a person who responded um, to a blog, and they, they said that they were um, a doctor. They had been a, do- a doctor for 40 years, and this person said, Cardinal Fernandez, in his book, Mystical Passion, dem- I'm translating from the Italian, demonstrates a uh, profile, a psychiatric profile that is extremely worrisome. He said, it's not possible that this man who um, takes joy in writing certain reckless theories outside of his competence, we must remember he's only a priest, um, that he does, he, he has a um, maniacal and and deep tendency to speak of sex. And, you know, this is, is a doctor, but there's so many other people that have highlighted this, uh, you know, comparing this book to the one book we did learn about when Fernando uh, Fernandez became a cardinal, mm-hmm. the, the book that he wrote about, about kissing and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm reading person after person um, all the time, of course, you know, not for attribution by name, uh, remaining anonymous. Just asking that um, he 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 should step aside himself for having written something like this because he's done damage not only to the doctrine to the uh, you know dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, but has done damage to the Pope for whom he has written other major documents. You know the and uh, the the shadow writer <laughs> right and. Yeah, but I mean, the prefect of the DDF, the Dicastery for Doctrine of the Faith, DDF, I'm sorry, um, is supposed to be the guardian, right. not the gatekeeper, the creator right. mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Catholic orthodoxy. And orthodoxy, with the minute you start reading, as I've read the passages written by others, mystical passion, spirituality, and sensuality. Some things, to be honest, Teresa, I'm not even comfortable saying them on the radio. Right, right. You know, saying them on air. I wasn't comfortable writing my piece a few days ago. But the things that I'm reading, you know, we must remember, um, he said, never have, one person wrote, never in memory has a prefect of the faith been cozy 
been thus void of taboos as in the matter of sex. And um, but you know, I mean, if I were to sit down with him and interview him, I would say, you know, okay, you said you you certainly uh, it made sense to write that at the time, but as soon. As it came out, um, you said that you wouldn't write it now. My, Matthew and I were talking about that in the last segment and during yeah. the break. He said the big question again: if we could do an interview with him, okay? You said that you wouldn't, you didn't want that book out. You canceled the publication very right. quickly. Blah blah blah. You know, you wouldn't write that but now. He but it could be misinterpreted. Okay, but, you but know, if you already, if you already have that fear, chances are. It's going to be, be not just perception, but reality. Right, or it already and, has um, been misinterpreted. Know. But also, well, how does he feel about these things now? And in light of the document that came out, uh, that you're asking these questions, okay, what do you think about this now? Is anybody who did sit down with him, and I know he did at least one interview after it, right. what does he think about all this now? Well, that, that's the, the whole issue, you know. And, and I, I would say, would you... Have, would you write something like that now? Would you expound further on it? Would you add something to it? I, I gathered from what he did say in one interview that, of course, he would. He doesn't even want to claim this anymore. In fact, apparently the ISBN number is missing. Mm-hmm. A, a copy of this book, I saw an interview about an hour ago on YouTube between two um, Italians and one who has a um, has a blog and does uh podcast every so often and he wrote to a man who was one of the first i guess to publish the news in italy and this man luigi i can't remember his last name now anyway he said he saw some news you know on on some wire service or something and he said this is so insane you know who's writing something like this about the cardinal prefect so he starts calling friends in argentina and and they you know this friend in Argentina had seen the book and it brought to his attention, and the journalist in Rome said, "Have you guys double checked to make sure that this isn't somebody with the very same name, you know, as Cardinal Fernandez?" And of course, he wasn't a cardinal when he wrote it. He was, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, thirty six. Um, but um, there's so much in it that if certain words and languages and 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 just visions that come through as you read the book, if those make you uncomfortable. For me, I find it scary because one passage from the book says, and does the Cardinal feel this way today, the one passage in the book says, let us remember that God's grace can coexist with weaknesses and even with sins. I, I might be able to accept that when there's strong conditioning. However, in in those cases, the person can do things that are objectively sinful without being guilty and without losing the grace of God. See, that's what's so scary. Of. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. what I said. That's that. That isn't even. It's not even language that I would find difficult to say on air. I just right. said it. That is that is downright scary regarding our faith. So going back to what I said a minute ago, if the prefect of the DDF is supposed to be the guardian of the faith, what do we have when we read a sentence like this? Okay, it's from 1998, but you know what? It is 2024. We have this in our hands. We are reading this. This man is now a cardinal, and he is head of the supposed to be head of the orthodoxy teaching, uh, orthodox teaching of the Catholic Church. Um, people asking for his resignation. Um, most of the people that I have read are they, they were anonymous names, but a lot of the some of the media, you know, has like gone along with it. it it, it must make sense at this point because the papacy of the Pope, uh, the, the pontificate of Francis is at stake, the, <clears throat> the Pope's own reputation, because he had to know this. And, and of course, oh, I think all of us have read by now that the names, the, this book was taken off a list of publications right. when, mm-hmm. when his bio was presented to the Pope, who already knew him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. He already knew him. He already had assigned him in this papacy to write some of his major works. So, um, but there was one, uh, the Spectator associate editor, Damian Thompson, said, "I'm on his post. I'm going to say that Cardinal Fernandez's resignation is now inevitable. Looks like we have arrived at the final crisis of this pontificate." 
Mm-hmm. I mean, see, I don't see that happening, I, though. I, I just don't see it happening. I, I know that there, there's one particular uh, Catholic publication I was very disappointed to see. They're also circling the wagons around this, and they're even agreeing with the fact of what some people are claiming, that, oh, this is, this is just his version and similar to what JP2 wrote in Theology of the Body and oh, Love and Responsibility. That's yeah. exactly what I said, give me a break. That was my response, give me a break. Yeah, don't insult our intelligence and don't insult the writings of, of, of a saint, John Paul II. So do you think, oh, no, I mean, I there are people calling for his resignation, but we don't hear anything from inside uh, the Vatican and the sources that you're quoting are, are anonymous. But you know, Go ahead. You know, you and I are sometimes on air and sometimes just in, in you know, little missives we write each other. Um, we have compared certain things happening in the Catholic Church with certain things happening in our country. It can be pro-life issues. It can be a lot of things. But what's so funny is right now one of the big things, uh, crises in, in America, is our Secretary of Defense who went missing right. in action mm-hmm. for a few days and the president uh, didn't, didn't even know it. And people are asking for him. Uh, you know, for Secretary of Defense to, to resign as well, right. mm-hmm. and obviously the president has said he has you know full full faith in him, and which I'm sure were, how could you how could you not get the Pope to say you know well I have full faith in I mean he probably he's not going to say it publicly, but um, it's just scary. I just don't want to see you and I are often how oh, every week about our beautiful church, our beautiful faith. Um, the, the people that live that faith, that teach it to us. How many times does the Pope say wonderful things? Have beautiful catechesis. Mm-hmm. Leave us uh, applauding with words he might say at an angelus. And then all of a sudden, right. the Pope tips over, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and everything everything is going down. So it's, it's very hard to say, but... Um, well, all we can say in the news business, as all of us do, is, um, you know, stay tuned. <laughs> right. Well, I think, too, and this is what Matthew and I were discussing in, in, in our previous segments, and you and I have, have discussed this over many a glass of wine at Lavatoria and just even chatting back and forth in emails, that we know that the church is a church, and we have to look back and, and tapping into Matthew's history as a church historian, he was talking about St. Catherine of Siena, St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, sure. and so many others, and St. Francis and St. Clair. And it sounds like, oh, you know, like we're being pie in the sky, but we're really not. If you look at church history, this is what happened every time there was a crisis. God brought in people that, that made a difference. A, a, a saint, right. Right. Exactly. I mean, you look at when we were um, up, at, when the papacy was up in Avignon, mm-hmm. and then you have mm-hmm. a little gal called uh, Catherine of Siena. Catherine of Siena, right. <laughs> who, 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 at the, you know, she was in her 20s. Right. When she was admonishing popes. Because, and you know why she was admonishing popes? Because she knew the teaching of the right, church. Right. And how many times have you and I said that to our, our listeners, Teresa? The material is out there. If you, you say something, you answer a Facebook post. You write us an email and you say, well, what so-and-so wrote or said, could that be true? Well, let me tell you, there's the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Right. There's canon law. There's the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all out there. And so even a feisty Catherine of Siena, she knew the truth. Amen. In a time when she started out, couldn't even read, right? Yeah. She was illiterate. And um, Mm -hmm. the truth made her free enough to actually castigate popes. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do, I I bought her book when I was last in Siena with your group. Um, I bought her book on uh, exchange of letters with popes. Yes. And you see quite easily, even when the popes kind of give in and Hey, you know, Catherine, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, she did it so. She did it so beautifully. She always wrote such respectful yeah. letters, but she did hit them right between right. the eyes with the truth. But she did it with love and respect. And I think, you know, right. we we have a voice. We can you know, write cons- write respectfully to our bishops and and to our pastors and express things. But at the end of the day, again, the best thing that we can do, as Matthew said, is to make sure that we are we know the teachings, that we uphold the faith, and we do not walk yeah. away that we stand up strong for the faith and, and do not give in. And again, as, as Matthew said, closing his segment, we pray for our priests, our bishops, our cardinals, and we pray especially for Pope Francis. Joni, we're out of time. Great discussion. Your blog is fantastic. Oh, okay. Check out Joan's blog for wow. more information, and we will keep up on this story as it develops. And again, Joan's website, jonesromewordpress.com. We'll be right back. We are the pro-life generation. 
passionate about building the culture of life in our health care and in our nation. But not all health care options are equally pro-life, and some provide morally objectionable procedures. CMF Curo is different. CMF Curo is a pro-life Catholic health care ministry providing a pathway for its members to build the culture of life in their health care choices, not destroy it. Learn more about CMF Curo at MyCatholicHealthCare.com. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com. Dr. Ray Garendi. What's the definition of frustration? Frustration is the difference between the way it is and the way you want it to be. It's hard to change the way it is. The way it is sometimes is other people, life, circumstances. The way you want it to be is in your power to change. You can close the gap between reality and what you want. The smaller that gap, the less your frustration. It is always easier to change oneself than to change reality. Frustration isn't always what happens out there. It is how we look at what happens out there. Ever thought you'd make a bundle by trading in or selling your used vehicle only to find out it's worth a dinner for two? Well, it's much more valuable to donate your vehicle to Ave Maria Radio. Thousands of Americans donate their vehicle each year. The donation to Ave Maria is easy, tax-deductible, and supports our efforts to evangelize. A year from now, will you remember that dinner or your gracious and selfless donation? Go to AveMariaRadio.net to find out more. That's AveMariaRadio.net. Cultural Connections, thank you, here on Catholic Connection. We're also going to be meeting with some students who are standing up for the faith and making a difference. And just a reminder, stay tuned to uh, all of our great programming all day long for great encouragement and information on how to grow in our faith. And especially on the stories that we mentioned with Joan and Matthew and other sources, don't forget that we have great resources online for you as well, wonderful news outlets such as The Register, Catholic News Agency, and of course, Raymond Show, EW10 News Nightly, and EW10 News In-Depth. Talk to you tomorrow on Damani. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E Maria Radio dot net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.